Hey guys, so for today's guest, we've got a double hat. So we've got authors Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. So Brian is a former submarine officer. Jeff is a trauma surgeon who's got multiple deployments with the SEAL team. So to both you guys, thank you for your service. Um, they've got their newest book, Dark Angel, coming out here in April. So make sure you guys pick up a copy of that. And guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, man. We've been excited to chat with you guys. Thank you for your service. Yeah. You guys are uh, two impressive guys, I'll tell you that. Well, just a couple. Hey, uh, make, sure I, not like make sure we play that part for the misses. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a couple yeah. of knuckle draggers. Yeah, really, you know, really glad to. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Not, no, I just saying, not compared to you know, surgeon and and um, no. Brian. I was just going to ask, what kind of subs were you on? Were you on attacker boomers? Yeah, I was on a real submarine, uh, fast attack. <laughs> hey, I got to ask, man. Check it out. I'm not a navy guy, right? So you just no, no, no. throw it out there. You know. I, I we just gotta tease each other, you know. Uh, you can either cruise around in the hotel, you know, underwater, and just uh, take it easy, or you can be a real, <laughs> a real warrior, you know. I hear you. It, isn't that amazing? Like we te we used to tease. We got a guy who was our engineer. He came from a boomer, and I think he had been to PD as many times, like in his career, as I had been that week. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh man. man. Isn't that amazing, though, how you, no matter what field you're in, there's that social class, you know, the elites and the plebes, you know what I mean? Isn't that the way it always is? No matter, even if you're all living in a five-star hotel, there's definitely a social class. Yes. Well, and, you oh, know, you, guys always rotate. You you rotate through both both platforms, but still, you, you, you got to give each other hell, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, we do that in the military more than anywhere, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God. It, it, you know, it's one thing where you got your inner service rivalry, then you got your sister service. I mean, here's the thing. You guys got a couple army guys versus a couple Navy guys, you know, so yeah. the bantering can start like nobody's business and it's just uh -huh. like, but it, it, it's all good at the end of the day, man. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we took a beating on the, uh, on the army Navy game. Cause we always do a, a big show and we always talk a lot of trash. We always try to get the Marines and the uh, Navy guys in and man, we just took a serious L. It was, I mean, Army gets the ball, drives right down the field, looks, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a blowout, and then nothing. Navy just showed up. Unbelievable game, though. Did you guys get a chance to watch it? Oh, yeah, I watched it this year. That was a good game. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been to the Army-Navy game? I can't, but unbelievably, I have not. I, every year, it's like, this is the year. I'm going to go this year. Mm -hmm. I've never been. Never been. Yeah. 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 It, well, I think there's there's a whole series of things you have to do. I think you have to make a contribution to the academy. Yeah. Then you get in a list, and there's a lottery. And I mean, it's not super expensive, but it's just you know, it's kind of a, a tough it's deal. Work to, and it requires a little planning, which is why I've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I usually think of it like the weekend before. Oh, Army Navy game. Ah, yeah. Next yeah. year. Next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd love to go to that. Love to go to that. So, yeah, we have, so, there's some, there's some army buddies of ours who are also thriller authors. And so we always like to tease them, you know, we're always, uh, joking around, you know, just each year, you know, we're surprised how many words they're able to use in their books. You know, they're, they're always adding new words to their vocabulary. So we're proud of them for yeah. that. You know, they had to have help. They had to have help. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we bought them for their birthday, each of them, <laughs> way, you know, Oh God. Yeah. So, so this is how the show's gonna go. I see how yeah. it is. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hang on, let me get my dictionary out and throw out some big, you know, words at you. So. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, 
I don't know if you've ever read any of Stephen Hunter's stuff. He he was on the show, and I I think I think he just goes right down, turns a page, and picks a picks a word and throws it in there. But uh, he's 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 a he's the exception. I but he was in the honor guard and only did a couple of years, so he was. I don't know if he actually counts, but hey, we appreciate his service too. But yeah, he's our one. You know. Yeah, no, he's talented. He's at Blackstone, I think, Jeff. Right? He does. Yeah, he is. He's very talented. And but there's there's a you know we'll we'll put the rivalry aside for a microsecond. Um, Don Bentley is a Army veteran, also a helicopter mm. pilot, Apache pilot, and uh, then an FBI agent. And he is um, he's incredible. He writes some of the best stuff out there. He's writing the Jack Ryan Jr. stuff now. And then um, oh, okay. Another buddy of ours, real good. Another, he's a good friend, and so is Josh. Mm. So Josh, he's a he's the knuckle dragger army. Like he was 82nd Airborne, multiple uh, deployments, and then he moved home and uh, lives in Memphis, where he was a SWAT sniper for how long, Brian? I don't know, five, six, seven. Yeah. Years. yeah. And now he writes uh, the Treadstone series. So um, okay, those guys are both incredible writers. Incredible. Really, really good. Yeah. yeah, you could have them on together and they could just make fun of us. The whole and then they make fun of us. That's right. In which case, that means you have to edit out anything nice I just said. <laughs> I got yeah. to get rid of his book. Let's, yeah. There you go. So, so why don't we start with you, Jeff? Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you end up uh, being where you're at and a little bit about your background? Uh, well, yeah, I'm always reticent to do that because then people think that I'm just another it's in more fiction because I've done this weird schizophrenic life. My mom says I can't keep a job, but um, <laughs> I've, I've had the, the blessed opportunity to do a lot of really cool things in my life. You know, I started out um, uh, from a very young age. I was actually thinking I might go into acting and I went to the school of the arts for a year. And during that time I became a firefighter paramedic and uh, worked in that field for five years uh, while going to college. And then um I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps and uh, become a pilot. So I already was flying. I was already a pilot. I joined the Navy uh, to become a, a fighter pilot. And uh, the, unfortunately, this was 1986 with the Graham Rudman cuts. And I got in a motorcycle accident at the very beginning of the pipeline. And they sent me home and said, um, hey, you know, uh, you can stay in the Navy, but we're doing everything we can to thin out the herd of people that that are in aviation because uh, we got no billets for them. Uh, so I left there and flew civilian for a few years and uh, that wasn't all that rewarding, making sure guys got to their golf game on time. Uh, <laughs> <line> corporate, <laughs> corporate jazz. I mean, they're good guys, good planes, but no sense of purpose. You know what I mean? I'd worked for the fire service and I wanted to do something that mattered. So I wound up uh, serving in another part of the federal government, uh, doing some spooky things for a couple of years. And that wasn't all I thought it would be. And, um, you know, it's not like on television, you know, as you guys both intimately know, uh, real violence is not all that compelling. And so I left that to go live a life of peace and become a doctor and a vascular surgeon, which I did. So I went off to med school, was serving in the Naval Reserves because I still had that need to serve. And um, while I was in my surgical training, a bunch of crazy guys flew some planes into the uh, World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And um, like you guys, it just pissed me off. So I uh, transitioned back onto active duty and uh, deployed with the Marines as a first team surgeon. And while I was downrange, ran to some folks I knew from from before and uh, somehow found myself uh, serving in uh, 
in the JSOC community with a SEAL team and uh, deploying with them. So strange, bizarre, you know what I mean? Like weird stuff. But the one thing I will say, the one thing that's true of every stage of my life, no matter what else I was doing, I was always writing. So Brian and I have sort of the, the opposite story in terms of how it plays with the writing. I started writing when I was like 11. I published my first short story when I was 12 or 13 years old. And I've just always written. It's been my one thread. Um, so being able to do a lot of different things and serve with some amazing people and uh, form those relationships definitely has been part of my growth as a writer. Wow. So Jeff, I got to ask you real quick, when you're overseas, did you journal at all? Um, no, I didn't. I know a lot of, I, I know a lot of guys that do writers and non-writers and I wish I had. And everyone that, mm-hmm. everyone that writes that served, especially in, in combat situations wishes they had. Cause yeah. yeah. There's so much fodder there. The detail, like I, it's not like you don't remember those few things, those few horrible mm-hmm. things in yeah. great detail, but all of the things before and after that would make it flow as a story. I don't have any of that. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. I'm curious. No, I, I, that's my, you know, my two biggest God. regrets from serving, um, not taking enough pictures. There's people that are not on this planet today that I don't have a picture with. I wish I did. And I did not journal. I mean, even just a yeah. short, you know, me and Mark were talking about, um, you know, last year, 30th anniversary of Desert Storm, it would have been cool just to go, hey, what was I doing 30 years ago? You, know, you got nothing to look back on. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. even if it was just a quick snippet, hey, did X today or did nothing or whatever. Um, but it's funny because when you get a group of guys together, we've all got little different pieces of the pie. So yeah. probably should write that stuff down. Still haven't. But yeah, that's I'm my. Not. I know, me too. It is it, weird it, how permeable our memory is, right? How things just sort of fall through that sieve, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you don't realize it's happening, you know, as it's happening, you think you're going to remember all that stuff. And <laughs> well, it, here's the other part, Brian, right? And this is a big part that we always talk about. Um, you you got to look at military community, TBIs, you know, let, let's be an mm-hmm. honest worker. You got guys that their brains aren't the same and, you know, wish my memory was better, but you know what? It's not my, I basically got scrambled eggs up there. Um, so it'd be nice just to look back and go, hey, what was I doing 10 years ago? Uh, it's, yeah. And it's horrible and jarring when, uh, and it, it, from the sound of it, you can relate to this, and that's something I've, I've talked about before, but it's horrible when you think of an event and you're looking at a guy's face in your mind, and like you say, a guy that's not here anymore, mm-hmm. and you suddenly can't remember his name. Yeah. And it's like yesterday I could have told you his address and his phone number. Like, how can I not remember? Right. It'll come back to you eventually, but it's it's nauseating when that happens. Mm-hmm that you oh, yeah. that you loved in, in the way the brotherhood loves each other and uh and you can't come up with their name it's a mm-hmm. it's a terrible mm-hmm. terrible feeling mm-hmm. so like you i wish i had more of that written down yeah yeah so what about you brian yeah i mean i was uh i was at vanderbilt just minding my own business and i had i had really good grades and these guys came <laughs> into my dorm room one night and they just chloroformed me and next thing i know i woke up on the summary and they told me that I had to, I had to serve. And I, you know, I mean, talk about jarring, right? Just to <laughs> be told you have to be a nuclear engineer and you have to go drive around without contact with anybody for four years. I mean, that's just, um, it's unexpected, but that's, that's kind of how it worked out for me. No, listen, I want you don't let him get away with this because this is an, this is an impressive part of the story that he won't tell unless you make him. Okay. So Brian was ROTC and he's at Vanderbilt. I didn't know him back then, but I think I hear this story and it's like blows me away. He was a psychology major. 
Okay. okay. <laughs> in psychology and with his psychology degree, somehow bullshitted his way to the nuclear submarine community where everybody there is a nuclear engineer. <laughs> this one super smart jackass with his Vanderbilt psychology degree. <laughs> they, those bastards tricked me. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Oh, man. Hey, I've no, watched some submarine movies. I'm good. It is true that, you know, I, I hadn't really planned to go this direction. And um, I was always thought I would go into naval intelligence. That was sort of my interest. And then they uh, did some reshuffling from Manning. They closed the off all the... Uh, restricted line communities uh, when it was time for service selection. So I sort of was just like, what am I going to do? I was going to go into intelligence. I can't, can't do that anymore. So um, yeah, it seemed fascinating. I had, I had done some MIDI tours on destroyers and been, been doing that, you know, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll check out the submarine thing. How hard can it be? It turns out it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. 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 Well, all of a sudden, I feel uh, very untalented, unsmart, and lazy, Rick. <laughs> after after hearing these two, but uh, um, so, so uh, Vanderbilt, huh? The Commodores, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah my son is down there at uh, Lipscomb. Cool. So, so he's right up to right up the uh, street on Broadway. There, uh, we go down there all the time. Love Nashville. It's a great Love. town. Good people. Yeah, great town. Yeah. Yeah, growing like crazy. Everybody leaving uh, California, moving down to Nashville. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, booming. Yeah. So, so how did you guys connect? Um, it seems like you, you know, Rick and I, we've known each other since, you know, our late teens, as they say, but, wow. um, how, how did you guys, uh, how did you guys get together and start writing together, especially? Well, like Jeff was saying, he's been writing his whole life and, and I didn't really start until after I got out of the Navy and, you know, in the, in the military, you have these periods where, you know, you know what it's like. I mean, when you're not in the action and, and, and you're, especially on a submarine, when you're sneaking around trying to be quiet, there's long periods where, you know, you got to entertain yourselves. And one of the ways that we would do is you tell stories. And so I, I start telling a lot of stories. I, you know, when I come into port, I'd collect all the stories I could from different people and I'd save them up and tell guys stories, you know, to make the watches go by. And I remember right before I got out, one of the guys was like, Hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, no, I haven't. He's like, well, you're a good storyteller. You should maybe give that a try. So being the the ex-former nuclear engineer that I was, I was like, well, how do I how do I nuke out on this problem? How do, how do I do this? So, you know, I was like, I started working on the story, but then I had to research, well, you know, when you get it done, how do you sell it? And mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you learn this craft? And so I, yeah. I, I found that there was this great conference called the International Thriller Writers and it felt very collegial, you know, when you start talking to people about it, it's like, yeah, come to New York City, it's every summer, a bunch of thriller writers, we all get together, we share best practices, uh, we, we, we teach each other this business. And damn, if that wasn't the case, I show up there and start getting to know people and everybody's friendly and they introduce each other and, and it's all going great. And then this one weird dude started stalking me. Like everywhere I went, this guy is there. And he's like, well, leave me alone. I'm finding him at the cocktail party, you know, in the different courses. And finally introduced himself. He said, I'm Jeff Wilson. You'd be my friend. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's how I remember Okay. It. Yeah, that's not Yeah, sure. 
I don't know anybody else, you know. I will I will say there was some stalking there, but it was almost it was more of a pity thing. So I <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't like I don't do social stuff like you know, getting together with military guys. I, if you've been in, in long enough, uh, and that long enough is probably measured in, you know, a single digit number actually after mm-hmm. time. It's kind of hard to interact with other people who haven't served. Like, you know, like, what do I talk to this guy about? Right. So, yeah. I mean, I know you're there to talk about books. So, the night before our very first thriller fest, and it was, I think, Brian's second, but my wife and I are there, and I'm up in the room because I have to go to this cocktail party. I'm like, I don't want to go talk to these people. Right. So, I'm flipping through the program and I'm looking for reading the bios and trying to find other people that are military. I'm like, if I can have like four guys in, in my brain, that I can recognize that are military, then I'll have someone I can talk to. So Brian was one of the ones I saw his page, you know, it starts with an A, Brian Andrews. It's like, so he was tortured. <laughs> I, I sort of yeah. drilled his into my head. So we go down to this cocktail party and sure enough, there's this guy. And it's like, that has to be him. Cause I know he's a submariner, right? And he's sitting by himself. He's got like, yeah. food. he's got a little food in his beard. <laughs> <laughs> he's like looking all. Yeah nervous and i was like that has to be the submariner so i went over and talked to him but um we did meet at this conference and um we hit it off immediately not just because of service but we were sort of at the same point in our life right like we're married we're very family oriented we share a faith uh our kids are the same age like it was just like so many things that we met there and became instant friends and stayed in touch after we left new york uh and then i guess a year or two later was when brian had this harebrained idea (laughs) that we could co-author novels together i was like who what like you hold the typewriter and i type like what how do you co-author a novel that's ridiculous and uh but he sort of wore me down used his psychology degree superpowers and tricked me me into doing it and now we've done however i don't know how many we've done 15 or 20 or something like that wow i guess it worked out that's impressive so how does that work out for you guys so um, it's pretty simple. I pick all the nouns and he picks all the verbs. And then we just mush them together. And that oh, yeah. is our process. It wouldn't work for most people, but it works really well for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been I've been lobbying to pick more verbs. He won't let me. I'm hoping that maybe a few books down the road, he'll feel confident enough that I can do that. But um, well, that, you know, that brings up a good point. Have, have you ever had a piece of, of whatever story get nixed by the other guy and thought, man, this, this book's going to suck now because that's not in there. Well, that's never, it has, it had to have happened. Had to have happened. It's it's never happened. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, so you guys are military guys and, and, uh, law enforcement. And, um, so you guys get this, you understand that, you know, when civilians talk about teamwork, it's, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. They don't really understand, um, outside of, you know, a few very select careers like fire service and law enforcement, what real teamwork is that taking it to the, to the uh, level of mission before self team before self, but military people that's bred into you. You know, one guy doesn't drive a, you know, multi-billion dollar submarine. Everybody has to do their job perfectly for the thing to work, you know, in the special operations community as, as you know, Rick, like, there's no, there's no me. It's like mm-hmm. us. There's a few of them out there. We, we've seen them. Then some of them, right, 
Navy some SEALs. Them, yeah, most of the Navy guys. Most of the Navy guys and some of them. But for the most uh, part, yeah. it, and so from the very beginning, when, when we did decide, look, we're going to give this a try, what attracted me to it was this idea of, look, together we could do something bigger than either of us can do. And if we put our egos aside and there is no me or you, it's like when you're a parent, right? It's like, I don't raise two of the kids and Wendy raises two of the kids, like mm-hmm. good or bad, when they're great, whether they're, when they suck, whatever it is, there are kids and we both take full responsibility for everything about them. And that's how we approach this writing thing is every word on the page, every paragraph, every page, every chapter, it's all ours. And so uh, by putting ego aside, everything is game for being cut. Everything is game for being edited because the mindset is, look, I don't care about what paragraph I did or didn't write. I want the book to be the best book we can write. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can only do that with you and you can only do it with me. And so we started off from the very beginning like that and it really did work. And so it sounds like something you say on an interview, oh, we never get, don't get along. We never fight. We never... But it's really true. I can't think of a single, there's been plenty of times where Brian has come and said, I think we should change this and we'll talk about it. And in the end, what we usually do is say, well, let's, let's go your way. And um, we'll put a pin in that and we can always come back to it and change it. Right. And I don't think we ever have like anytime that we've sort of bartered something out and then said, let's go your way. It winds up staying that way and it's better for it. And so it Mm. doesn't take long before you say, yeah, maybe this whole, mission before self thing, there's something to it that can apply mm-hmm. to writing books. And so that's how we do. So there, there has literally never been a time where Brian changed something and I went, Oh, it's going to suck, but it didn't. I've never thought it was going <laughs> to suck. If he says it's better that way, then he's probably right. And so far that's proven to be the case. So. Mm-hmm. Nice. And that's kind yeah. of our superpower. That's our method, which is that, you know, we're high fiving each other for the individual things we come up with along the way. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, you know, when you got this book, this finished book, and like, like he's saying, you look at this book and you think, well, I never could have written this by myself. And you're just so damn proud that you put this thing out with your best friend and yeah. uh, people get to enjoy it. So people love to ask us, well, did you write this character? Did you write that character? We wrote all the characters. We take turns in every character's head. We switch point of view. So we write, you know, multi-character POV, third person. And we take mm-hmm. time in all the characters' heads, and that that makes it really fun for us. And the other thing it does is it means that that person really is sort of their mind, that that character, that's a product of two people's minds and two people's experiences and two people's emotions. And so you get somebody that's not just me and not just Jeff, you get a new person, and, and that's kind of cool too. The other superpower we have is that we have the maturity level of a nine-year-old. Yeah. Um, and that's when you... <laughs> And that's when you add us together. And so we have, uh, <laughs> so that makes it yeah. super fun. It's our writing technique is a lot like, you know, when you were a kid in the backyard playing in the woods with a stick, pretending it was a rifle and you keep changing the rules. What if this happened? What if this happened? What if this, that's how we write a book. It's that, that first couple of weeks where we're brainstorming out, it's identical to two nine-year-olds playing in the woods. Like, <laughs> oh, you know what else could happen? You know what else could happen? So it makes it a lot of fun. That's for sure. Yeah. How much guys are you doing like research as far as the books go? Or are you just kind of winging stuff? Cause I've heard different authors say different things as far as that piece goes. And I don't know how much you guys are doing that or just going with the flow. 
So we're obviously we're very lucky in that between us, we have a pretty eclectic background. And so we have some subject matter expertise in a pretty wide variety of things. I've flown jets. I've done surgery. He's a nuclear engineer. I've worked in, you know, tier one units. I, after that, I worked in some task force stuff. So we have a lot of insight into a lot of different things. And then we both tend to just gravitate towards very closely following defense and geopolitical things. You know, we both get trade journals, defense journals and stuff. So we're sort of in that zone all the time. And so that daily life of living in that universe, sort of, that's 90% of our research, right? Live mm -hmm. some of it, read about a lot of it. We stay connected in the community. Um, every now and then we'll have a book, like uh, we wrote a book collateral that we were writing at a different, you know, it's sort of a different thing because it was m a much larger, you know, we're usually we're writing covert operations and, you know, small unit tactics. This one was a conflagration by coincidence uh, or not in Ukraine. We wrote the book in 2019 and it happened to be very similar to what went on over the last few weeks with false flag operations being run by our Putin analog, who we called Vladimir Petrov. And, um, but we had this huge portion of the book that occurs in the Black Sea aboard an Arleigh Burke and neither one of us has ever served in the surface Navy. And so we had the opportunity with our connections, I think this one was Brian's, called up a friend who's at the Pentagon now and said, hey, you know anyone that ever skippered an Arlie Brook? He goes, yeah, I know a dude. And so we were able to send stuff to him and the guy was a tremendous help. So we do that kind of research, um, mm -hmm. you know, some, some uh, I don't know, geography research and stuff like that. You Google map and read some articles, um, but it's probably 80 or 90% character driven. And so a lot of it's just sort of there. You agree with that, Brian? No, no Brian will say no, that's not, not at all. No, <laughs> I mean, it depends on the series too, right? So um, like that, that book collateral that required a lot of research and um, you know, the, the sons of our series did too. Um, you know, sons of our one, it's all about uh, drone technology. Neither one of us are drone pilots, uh, but there's a lot of activity in the drone space and we want to understand it and um, figure out how could an enemy exploit, you know, drone technology in ways that hasn't been done before against, you know, an asymmetric, you know, in, in, the, in, in the Afghan, Afghanistan theater, you know, we had an asymmetric advantage uh, the entire time we were there. And, you know, a smart enemy is going to recognize that and try to figure out how do I level the playing field. And so we had to sort of imagine, we, we really put ourselves in the shoes of, of our villains and said, you know, how would we do this? And it's not just at the pie in the sky level. It's that, okay, this is our idea. Now, how, how could you actually go about executing this? And so we used uh, research and contacts and our own brainstorming to figure out how could an enemy get hold of a <coughs> Chinese, you know, pterodactyl drone that's a predator clone and how could they deploy it in Afghanistan without being caught and how could they actually hit targets and stuff like that. So that was, that was, a, that was a deep dive. Whereas you talk about, you know, a, a project like Dark Intercept, the Shepard series, uh, that one's all domestic and it's, it's much more character driven and we're not having to get on, you know, the trade journals to figure that story out. That's just more us thinking about, you know, our hearts and digging in deep, you know, emotionally for finding, you know, ways to tell a story about a character who's, you know, physically and, and, and spiritually and, and emotionally broken, you know, that, that's that story. So very, very different approach, you know, you, you're in different headspace, I think, when you're writing these different series and because we're both, creative guys and and we like to storytelling fulfills a need for us 
uh, having these different series uh, is very rewarding for us. I will say that, you know, one thing, uh, Brian makes a good point about the different series require different things. And this series, the Shepherds with Dark Angel and Dark Intercept that came out last fall, that was a whole different type of research for us because now we're calling up friends like who are pastors and saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we, we have this theme of spiritual warfare and there's some supernatural elements to it. And it's a fun, exciting, it's meant to entertain, but we don't want anything in here to be anti-biblical. Like it's okay to be a little bit beyond, but we want it all to be able to say, okay, it's in the framework of biblical truth. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to go too far outside that. So will you look at this for us? And so we had, uh, you know, Mike Moore and, and Craig Altman, um, Chris Bonham, some good friends who, who are pastors were able to help us and sit down with us and go over some things and, you know, proper scriptures to use to validate a certain spiritual warfare part. The crisis and faith elements of that book, that was a little easier because those are things that we've dealt with in our own lives. And, you know, we can sort of lean back and say, wow, what, what worked for me? What resonated for me when I was in that crisis where I was like, how could there be a God that would let the things that I've experienced happen? How could he exist? I know what what led me down that path, but the spiritual warfare stuff that was fun to try to frame that in biblical truth was uh, was challenging, but really, really fun. Nice. You know, having that many books, having gone through this journey of start to finish with that many books, what was it like for you to to get to the end of the first one? Uh-huh. Now, was the first book that you guys did together was that the first huge publication that you did or, you know, did you collaborate after you'd already had some experience? Because I can imagine what that would feel like to take something like that to the end of that very first time when you send it out in the world. We both had books out. Yeah, we had written individually, but we, we collaborated first on tier one. That was our first joint book. And the funny thing about it is, you know, we wrote, it took me like eight years to finish my first book. It was retarded. I mean, ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, I started working with Jeff and he'd be like, I wrote, you know, six pages a day. How many did you write? And I'm like, I wrote two. I wrote nine pages a day. How many did you write? I wrote one. Like, <laughs> you know, I realized, like, I'm not performing very well. Like, I need to, I need to elevate my game. So, like, Jeff taught me that, you know, it's not about writing the perfect prose and the perfect sentence. It's about getting words on the page and getting the story out of you and, mm-hmm. and you can fix it later. And that's something I learned from him. And I'm so grateful it's made me a better writer. And we wrote that tier one book in like four months, three or four months, really fast faster than even he'd written a book by himself. And so um, we realized, Oh, wow, this really is a force multiplier. And, and we've, how fast, you know, could we, how many could we turn out a year? And our agent started shopping tier one and she took it to a, a smaller publisher and they said, well, you know, this is really good. We don't want to buy it, but will you write <laughs> this other book for us, Beijing Red? And uh, we want it set. And it was sort of like a, almost like a game of charades or something. It was like, we're going to set this book in China and we want to have, uh, you know, a Navy SEAL. And then we also want to have a scientist and then we want to have a biological weapon. So here's your four themes. You go make it happen. And so we took that challenge on. And we wrote we wrote that book, and that book was published first, actually. And it wasn't published under Anders and Wilson. It was the first book we had done, you know, under a pseudonym, and under Alex Ryan. And so we did two books for that publisher. And ironically, that book came out before Tier One did. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Wow. 
I bet that was just unbelievable having. Now, were you picked up by your current publisher at that juncture or was it uh, just before that? Um, so your two books came out under the pseudonym and then, you know. Well, the one book came current... out under the pseudonym. We were contracted for the other one. And then Thomas and Mercer uh, released Tier One. And of course, mm -hmm. after that, things changed for us because it was a, a kind of a runaway success. And so we wrote for uh, Thomas and Mercer for a while. We actually don't, uh, we still do the tier one series, but there it's no longer at Thomas and Mercer. Uh, it's now at Blackstone. So um, we write the uh, Shepherd series, the dark angel book that you've got there. Um, that's for Tyndale house. It's a, that's one of the largest Christian publishers in the world. And they were looking to grow faith-based action thrillers, which seems like, Cool. We're your guys, right? Yeah. And so we've had a great time there. Um, and we we continue to write for them and will for, for some time. But all the rest of our stuff is now at Blackstone Publishing, uh, which is where we do Tier 1, the spinoff series, uh, which is Sons of Valor. The second book in that series comes out in June. Um, and then we have some techno thrillers and speculative thrillers coming out from them over the next couple of years as well. So we've, we've pared it down to Blackstone and Tyndale House. Uh, and it's just a lot easier to kind of have it all together yeah yeah that, that's still a bunch though i mean you're sitting there going oh, from you know i'm just thinking for me hey you got two different houses you're kind of working for one you're kind of you know faith-based trying to push stuff out there simultaneously you know you're trying to put out other stuff in the other one you know is there any is there any ever dramas as far as hey we're going from one series to another series jumping back and forth or is it just an easy slide back and forth <laughs> um you know, it's, it, it's never, I've never found it that challenging. I don't think Brian does either. I think it's because, you know, these, these stories, like Brian hinted at a little earlier, we write very character driven stories. Um, there's a lot of relationship. They're action thrillers, believe me, but, but it's action that sort of gives a nod to the people that we've served with and those relationships and the effect it has on those things mm -hmm. uh, couched in the action. And so because those characters drive the story and because those characters for us as, as creators became so real, it would sort of be like confusing your, your son and, you know, your other son or your daughters or whatever. I mean, we all call them by the wrong name, but we know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when we, when we jump from one series to another, I don't think we ever really have a hard time transitioning because it's just like going out with that other really good friend that you have and, you know, you're not, you're not going to mistake his life for somebody else's. So um, I don't think it's really been that big a struggle. There's been the logistical struggle of, you know, to, to put out four books a year is that's, that's a challenge. I don't care who you are. And even if you're working with two people, so you've got to write a book every three or four months, but what people who don't write don't maybe realize is that while you're writing one book, if you're writing at that pace, you're writing a book, and editing a different book at the same time constantly. Like every time you turn yeah. around, you get a little momentum going. Like we're just finishing book seven in the tier one series. But during that three months that we wrote that book, we had two other books come in at different times that were at various stages of editing where we one of us would have to peel off for a week or two and address those edits, whether it's line or copy or developmental edits or whatever. So the logistical stuff is more of a challenge. But in terms of you know, confusing the characters or the stories, that's never been an issue. What, what does happen sometimes, though, is you, you do, um, by telling different, by having different series, you sort of miss certain characters or you're ready to maybe jump back into yeah, one yeah. book or another. We did something we hadn't done before, which is we wrote uh, Dark Angel 
And then we wrote Dark Fall back to back. So books two and three in Shepherds, we wrote back to back. And uh, we, we punted another book uh, on the backside of Dark Fall. And by the time we, it was fun. I mean, it was fun writing both those arcs together. Um, and I think you had a lot of continuity between book two and book three, which will, you know, hopefully we come back and we can talk to you guys after Dark Falls out in the fall. Um, but you kind of miss those other characters. We were ready to get back to Chunk and, and Whitney and work on Sons of Hour 2 when we were done. So, mm. You know, with, with all of our, we love the young service members. We love you know, talking about them. We love trying to reach out to them and give them some advice whenever we can. And we always ask our military veterans, if you could give one piece of advice and whoever wants to go first, Brian, you know, Jeff, whoever, um, what would that be? And it could be on a, a personal level or it could be in a, you know, transitional sense as far as it goes for what you're going to do next. But uh, if, if you want to go first, Jeff, what, what would be your uh, the best piece of advice you could give a young person who's transitioning? I mean, the, the advice I would give, and we talk about this a lot because Brian and I spend a lot of time working with veterans, uh, you know, whether it's veteran entrepreneurs, small businesses, you know, we've got, we form relationships with people like Bonefrog Coffee and Eli Crane at Bottle Breacher. We really believe that veterans should always spend their time lifting one another up. And so I think that my advice would be related to that. When you first leave and everyone on this, on this Zoom has felt this, you feel lost when you lose, you know, your whole identity is tied up in your team and your job and your, you know, your designator or your rank or whatever it is. And when all of that is suddenly jerked out from under you at once, you sort of feel lost. You feel like it's a big part of your identity disappears. And so the advice I would give is this, they're still out there. You're still part of that community. When you leave the service, when you retire or you transition at whatever stage in your life, there are uh, several million people who have done that same thing that share that background and they're still out there and they want to help you. They want to uh, be in community with you. Uh, they want to continue to serve with you in the new stage of life. So don't ever feel like you're alone and don't ever be afraid to reach out to other veterans and, and veteran organizations say, Hey, I'm starting this business. Hey, I want to write a book. Hey, I'm thinking about going to PA school, whatever it is, reach out to your fellow veterans and you'll be amazed at how immediate the response is and how that community and that brotherhood is still there and ready to support you. So that's probably the best advice I can. Mm -hmm. I agree hundred percent. That's how I feel too. Um, now my turn, I guess mine will be, uh, I'll tell mine as part of a story. I remember right when I was, uh, I was really senior. I was uh, just about to finish my tour on, on my boat. Uh, sh ship was in port standing duty officer and I was on a tour of the engine room and there's a new guy, a uh, new uh, third class uh, machinist mate. And he was being taken around by a very senior first class. He showed how to take logs. And like I said, I was doing my tour and I just ran into those guys. So we started talking. He said, Hey, uh, sir, I want to introduce you to a new guy in my division. Hey, officer Smith, let's say his name was, and he's like, uh, you want to say hello? So we start, we start chatting. And uh, whole time that first class, he starts poking the uh, the third class in the arm with his finger, and the guy's trying to talk. And he's poke, poke, interrupting him. Poke, and you could see, you know, first the the new guy, he's getting a little, you know, like what's going on here. He wasn't quite sure what was happening, and then he kind of laughs a little bit, and then he's getting real uncomfortable. And 
And the first class like says, uh, Pope, do you like that? No. Pope, you gonna cry? No. Pope, you gonna quit? No. Pope, good. Because that's what it's like here every single day. So get used to it. And I remember walking away from that conversation thinking to myself, what a lesson, you know, like it, it, it took me a little while for my brain to get a handle on, you know, was that hazing? No, that was teaching. That was him explaining that life is abrasive. Life is a series of little pokes every single day from your fellow human beings, from Murphy's Law, from the government, from whatever, your health, you know, little things are going to happen to you. And you can either cry or you can quit or you can go away or you can not do your job or you can complain about them or you can just suck it up and soldier on. And uh, I always remember that. And I, I like to share that story just because it resonated with me. And um, I always think about that when, when I have a day where, you know, a bunch of little pokes have hit me and I'm feeling beaten down. I remember thinking of that first class, first class petty officer's advice and saying, yeah, I just pick myself up and, and soldier on. Nice. He's talking about me. I'm the, I'm the poke. I'm the, <laughs> you say, those, days, those days, that's me. That's what he's talking about. You've only got two uh, pages? Come on. <laughs> oh, oh. Yep. Oh, man. No, that, that's solid advice. I, I think really yeah. um, that's the biggest thing with guys, you know, getting out is that's been your identity, your lifestyle, whatever you want to say for so many years, and they don't. Militaries, I mean, let's think about it. It's a pretty easy job, right? I mean, you get three squares a day. Granted, you got some poking that goes on, but I mean, for the most part, you're taken care of. Um, how many times, you know, combat's easier than coming back home and dealing with broken dishwasher or whatever the case may be, you know? And a lot of guys, it's just that being able to sit there and go, hey, here's the next chapter. Let's move on. But yeah, it's solid Amen. advice from you guys. Yeah. Amen. And you don't realize it till it's it's too late, right? You don't realize the stability that all that gave you, whether you're in the suck or not, the stability and the continuity of that was a huge part of your life and you mm -hmm. don't see it until it's gone. And then, yeah. you're like, man, yeah. I wish I would have appreciated it when I had it. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and the other part too, is you've got to reach out. That's the key part, you know, for guys getting ready to get out, you've got to reach out. You know, I, I didn't do the best job keeping a Rolodex. I should have. Um, but it's like, Hey, where's so-and-so at? And then you hear through the room mill that he's doing the same thing you are, something similar. Man, wish I had his number to, you know, get in contact with him. So yeah. Yeah. And 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 also, you know, keep in mind if if you are listening and you're you're getting out, your skills are transferable. The language that we use to talk about our skill set in the military is not necessarily the same as what they use in the civilian world. But believe me, those skills are transferable. The leadership skills that you've learned the planning, the execution, organization, all of these things are, are very valuable. And, you know, the military, I used to always get pissed off when I would hear people say things like, oh, you know, inefficient, Navy's inefficient. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? The things that we fix, the way the parts, we get parts here within 24 hours, we're faster than FedEx. My guys have instructions. They know how to fix the boat. The boat. They do it well, we inspect it, we double check it, we triple check it. Like the military has been around for a long time and it's learned mm -hmm. how to optimize and do things really, really well. And in the civilian world, especially in young companies or small companies, 
they don't have these processes in place, these time-tested, battle-proven techniques and processes. There's a lot that you can learn, but you just need to learn how to speak their language too, because there's not a rank structure and there's not all the, the acronyms and terms and stuff that you're used to dealing with. They're not going to understand you. So I think, you know, if you can reach out to a veteran who's been out for five, 10 years and been in business, they're going to be able to coach you how to, how to communicate, how to transfer your skills over to this job opportunity that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, Jeff, when you mentioned that, you know, your identity is tied up with a lot of the things that you're doing in the service. And that's so very true until it's not there anymore. And then a lot of times it just simply becomes a problem. And I think reaching out is a, is a big one to, you know, Rick and I were lucky enough that at least I was, he was still in for a while after me and uh, we, we stayed in touch the whole time, but I could see where that would quickly become a problem. And I think having another purpose is always huge. And even if you have a, a nine to five, you know, we, Rick and I talk about the outreach, you know, adopting a piece of a highway, you know, folks who are um, food uh, insecure and you start to work with those kind of things. I always think that those are very rewarding and gives you a purpose. The next thing you know, you know, you're volunteering, you're helping to schedule the volunteers, you know, it, and that's, that's where the leadership comes from, like Brian said. And that characteristic is in most people that get in and get out of the service and get something mm-hmm. from you're always going to take that type of efficiency and hard work out of it. So great, great advice. Great advice. Well, so it, let, let me ask real quick. So the new book guys, yeah, can you give, can you give anything about it? What's kind of a quick kind of shell? Well, or, for is people, that, or is that a super secret? No, no, we can do it. We can do it. We'll have to coach you within the, uh, the spoiler, you know, thing, because, um, these books are coming out so close together that, mm-hmm. um, and the paperback of Dark Intercept just came out. Uh, the hardcover was released in September, and we just released the paperback in February. So, there's a lot of people who haven't who haven't read the first one yet, and so we don't want to ruin book one for people uh, telling too much about book two. But for people who have read book one, uh, they know that this is a hero's journey. It's a journey of a man who is suffering a crisis in his faith uh, and having to re-embrace some things uh, he ran away from in his youth because of seeing pure evil. Um, and so the journey continues in book two, uh, every, those themes grow, um, the spiritual warfare aspect, the supernatural aspects of good versus evil, uh, and the combat operations that, it, uh, that we do continue to grow. So it's difficult to really give a big pitch for it without ruining book one. But um, if you like, if you liked book one, you'll love book two because the stakes go up and, uh, there's a, there's a lot of action in this one. Nice. Wow. Yeah. And, and that comes out, when's that projected to be released? April 5th, April okay. 5th. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. Like I said, I, I suddenly feel lazy and unsmart. <laughs> 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 now you guys are absolutely great. Um, there's a quick, you know, 45 minutes and, um, very impressive and impressive that you are working together. And I tell you what, it's very inspirational. You know, Rick and I have been lucky to enjoy a similar relationship and you guys teaming up and doing the great things that you're doing is very inspirational to a lot of folks getting out of the service and even uniform services, you know, with the fire service and the fire uh, police department. So hats off and uh, congratulations on your success. And we're, we can't wait to see what else you guys got coming out. Oh, thanks. We sure appreciate that. And yeah, thanks, guys. You run a great podcast, and we felt the same way. I could I could feel the synergy between you guys from the very beginning. So. 
the only thing the only thing better than getting paid to do something you love is doing it with one of your best friends. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, one hundred percent. I mean, 100%. when you when you look at this podcast, so you know, Mark was the one that kind of came up with this idea. And if you listen to our first episodes, they're janky. Oh, God. I mean, here here we are talking on cell phones, trying to podcast. Uh, hey, it how was, you doing? Doing yeah, good. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, you know, like you guys were saying, you just, it's those little incremental improvements, you know, all right, cool. How do we, you know, make our audio a little better? How do we find a different platform that's going to work better for us? How do we take this thing now going from audio? Let's do video, you know, so you're always trying to improve. And I mean, you guys are out there running books like nobody's business, man. I mean, four, four books a year. That is super impressive, man. And then, you know, just for me jumping from series to series, I mean, Hats off to you guys. So, you know, appreciate your service. Appreciate what you guys are doing and yeah, uh, keep up the great work. Hey, we love talking to you. Let us know anything we can do for you guys. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely come back whenever you got, you got a project or a, a foundation, whatever, bring it on and uh, we'll talk about it. And well, be uh, careful. You don't want to have us on every three months. Like <laughs> but, but if we have the Warhog series, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there it you could go. Be... <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Well, and if, if your listeners want to, Want to check out all of our books? You can go to www.anders-wilson.com, and uh, they're all listed there. You can also sign up for our newsletter. We don't sell or, or trade information. Uh, we don't spam your inbox. So just get uh, you know quarterly updates on sort of what we've got going on. So um, mm-hmm. that's a good place to find out everything that we're up to. And then yeah, man, you we'll guys- drop that in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys doing um, you know eBooks as well, or is it just all? Um, Everybody, everybody does ebooks now. It's probably 60 or 70% of everybody's sales. But mm-hmm. we also, uh, for us, our books have done enormously well in audio. Uh, okay. We've been oh. having some amazing narrators. And uh, so our books always are best sellers on the Audible platform as well. Nice. Yep. Audible.com. There you go. Audible.com. Thanks for having us, uh, letting you, uh, you know, being on the show. And it's just been great and uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thank you for your service. Just been great. Thanks you for having us. So, Enjoy it. Right, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, Rick. Let's do it again, pal. You know it, buddy. All right, buddy. <laughs> All right.